A Simple and Generic Framework for Impact Estimation and Attribution by Christoph Hartmann Heading TLDR Here's a list of bullet points. Building on the logarithmic relationship between income and life satisfaction, we model the purchase of goods as an exchange of money for life satisfaction. Under that lens, a company's impact on the life satisfaction of its customers is the income-weighted sum of the company's revenue. By comparing the company's revenue with its cost structure, we can attribute the relative share of impact to the company's employees, suppliers, and shareholders. While this approach primarily focuses on for-profit companies, it can be extended to NGOs by reframing them as companies selling attribution of their primary impact for donations. In this framework, an NGO's impact is then twofold. Its primary impact, sold and attributed to the donor, and its secondary impact on the life satisfaction of the donor, attributed to the employees and other cost drivers. This approach is not a substitute for measuring any impact beyond life satisfaction of consumers. It cannot replace studies on the primary impact of NGOs or impact on factors beyond life satisfaction, like the environment. You can use this framework to compare the impact of companies when deciding between jobs, to compare the impact of donations to the impact from a job, or use it as a guide on how to attribute the impact of a for-profit or NGO to its customers, employees, and suppliers. The corresponding spreadsheet can be used to apply this framework to any company using commonly available data. That's the end of the list. Heading. Idea. Using money as a proxy for impact. Impact estimation is a dark art. Complex spreadsheets with high sensitivity to parameters, convoluted theories of change, cherry-picked KPIs that can't be compared between two organizations, triple counting of the same impact for multiple stakeholders, missing studies to back up assumptions. I am working for a social enterprise and in the five years I've been here I tried to estimate impact a couple of times and always gave up frustrated. In this article I am trying to turn impact estimation around. Instead of trying to estimate impact from detailed bottom-up models, I will take a top-down approach and work with one measure that works for almost anything. Money. At its heart, money represents value delivered and I want to see how far we can take this to estimate impact. I will guide you through this in three steps that you can also follow and adjust in this spreadsheet. We will start with estimating the impact of a donation to give directly. From this we will derive income-weighted revenue as a proxy measure for impact. With this we can then estimate the impact of a market stand as a simple example and then generalize to any organization, any job, and the impact of shareholders. Finally we'll try to apply this approach to a few examples, look at the extremes, and see how everything holds up. Heading. The impact of a cash transfer. Let's start with estimating the impact of a donation to give directly. Most readers are probably familiar with the relation between income and life satisfaction. Life satisfaction is highly correlated to the logarithm of income. At low income levels life satisfaction grows fast with income, while at high income levels extra income will have almost no effect on life satisfaction. This holds both when compared between countries and for different income levels within countries. As an illustration, see the grey country lines in the background of figure 1 and our world in data for more details on this. There's an image here, with the caption. Figure 1. The impact of a cash transfer the life satisfaction loss when donating money at a high income is much smaller than the life satisfaction gain of receiving that money at a low income. At this scale, the loss, right top orange to cyan, is barely readable in the diagram while the gain, left at bottom orange to cyan, is significant. 
note that income is on a logarithmic scale. Background image, our world in data. We can use this relationship to estimate the impact of donating to give directly. Let's say we are looking at a pool of donors whose average yearly income is $50,000. That would mean they have, on average, a life satisfaction of about 6.9 life satisfaction points, LSP. Then when they donate 10% of their income in one year, they are left with $45,000 and a corresponding life satisfaction of 6.8 LSP for that year because on a log scale, there is really no big difference between $45,000 and $50,000. If, however, they donate this money to give directly, we shift down on the log scale and give $5,000 each at about roughly 90% efficiency, so roughly $4,500, to a recipient community with an average yearly income of maybe $1,000. Let's assume Give Directly gives money in $1,000 batches. See Figure 1 for an illustration of the effect of one $1,000 batch, then the life satisfaction gained for these $1,000 batches for that year in that community is the difference between life. Satisfaction at $2,000 and $1,000, so 4.3 LSP. 3.7 LSP equals 0.6 LSP. So the net impact of the donor pool's donation is $5,000 asterisk 0.9, asterisk 0.6 LSP Y a 1K dollar, 0.1 LSP Y roughly 2.5 LSP Y. While they lose on average 0.1 LSP Y. The recipient community of his donation gains on average 2.6 LSP Y per person, a pretty good trade. What GiveDirectly effectively does is to offer an arbitrage service for life satisfaction. Life satisfaction is cheaper in low-income countries, so by moving your money there, you get more life satisfaction for the same total money spent. On top of this, the donor pool probably also receive life satisfaction simply from the act of donating. We will have a look at that later when discussing edge cases and implications. In this section we implicitly created a measure for life satisfaction changes. Life satisfaction points per year or LSP or Y. This measure has already been established by the World Happiness Report as Wellbe, Wellbeing Year, can be defined as, a one-point change in life satisfaction on a 0 to 10 scale, per person per year. We will use Wellbe from here onwards. Note that the Welby framework has already been used in a detailed study on cash transfers which has shown that a $1,000 lump sum cash transfer to low and middle income countries leads to a Welby, or LSPOY, of around 1.1, so even more optimistic than our 0.6. This might be because one-off bumps in income might have outsized effects compared to living steady on a higher income. Heading. Money spent given an income level as a proxy for impact delivered. Just giving $1,000 to somebody who so far had a $1,000 income doesn't automatically increase their life satisfaction, though. Life satisfaction increases because this money represents things and services they can buy with it. How exactly do the two relate? Let's assume that the $1,000 will be spent on school fees, food, clothes, data bundles, and some alcohol. We have no way of knowing how these contribute to the donation recipient's life satisfaction. Maybe the alcohol is needed for a family celebration, maybe the food is unhealthy, maybe the data bundles are needed to search for jobs. The great thing is that we don't need to know. GiveDirectly has demonstrated that people in general make responsible choices with their money, given the situation they are in. If we generalize this and assume that the money spent, on average, represents the value to the person making the purchase, then we can assume that the person's life satisfaction can be attributed to the spending of their income. 
So in the example of somebody who has $1,000 of yearly income and an average life satisfaction of 3, we can assume that, on average, each dollar spent leads to a life satisfaction increase of 0.003 Welby. We can then turn this around and look at it from the company's perspective. A company makes a lot of individual sales and if we assume that each sale corresponds to a life satisfaction increase of the customer, then the sum of all their sales, revenue, weighted by the income their customers, should be their total impact. So while donations can on some level be seen as a trade in potential life satisfaction, the impact for the life satisfaction itself should be attributed to whoever realizes this potential by selling goods and services that are consumed. If you, like most people first reading this, feel like we took a lot of leaps of faith in the last two paragraphs, see Appendix 1 where I go into common concerns from previous discussions on this concept, for example market failures, public goods, and first versus last dollar spent. If you first want to form more intuitions on this, let's look at how this plays out in the example of buying a fish at a market stand. Heading. Example. The impact from buying a fish at a market stand. By using money spent as a proxy for impact, we can calculate the impact of any company just by looking at their revenue and the income level of their customers. Let's start with the example of a fish market stand, see figure 2. By selling a fish for $1 to somebody who lives on $1,000 per year, we can approximate the impact in terms of life satisfaction changes for one person for one year, well-be, of that fish as $1, $1,000 times the average life satisfaction points, LSP, of somebody with $1,000 per year. 3 LSP. The impact of eating that fish should therefore be on average 0.003 well-be. The person buying that fish should, on a yearly population average, be 0.003 well be more satisfied after eating that fish. Note that while this example is set on an individual level for the purpose of visualization, the calculations will only start approximating the average values for larger sample sizes. There's an image here, with the caption. Figure 2. The impact of buying a fish at a market stand. Bold text is value in dollar, light text is value in well-be. When somebody with an average income of $1,000 per year buys a fish, center, we can assign the proportional WELLBYs to everything that contributed to that sale, right? Note that the impact from eating the fish, $1*3 Welby, $1,000 equals 0.003 Welby, is not the same as the impact generated from the buyer's income streams, left, as those incomes could have come from higher income consumers, or from donations, or simply from a badly managed business. We can now take these 0.003 well be generated from eating the fish, and attribute them to all contributors of the fish sale, some go to the fisher who actually got the fish, who in turn needed to buy some line and bait, some go to the government because we need to pay taxes on the sale, some might go to the market stand investment, and hopefully at the end there will be some profit from the sale, which represents impact generated by the owner of the stand. So while the stand owner sold the fish, they can only claim 15 cents or 0.00045 well be worth of impact in the example of the figure, because that's their profit. Note that the impact generated from eating this fish is not the same as the impact that the buyer of the fish generated with the dollar they used to buy the fish. In the example in figure 2, the total well be attributed to the buyer from the work that earned them the $1 is 0.002 well be while the total well-be attributed to others from their consumption of the fish is 0.003 well-be. The impact they had generated with that dollar depends on how they earned that dollar, maybe by working for a company that sold services to wealthier customers, therefore generating less life satisfaction, 
or maybe they received it as a donation, or maybe they actually had some negative impact from a loss-making business they own. To get the total impact of running the market stand for the owner, we can make some assumptions. Let's say they sell $25 in fish per day, resulting in $3.75 in profit, representing 0.011 Welby, then over the course of a year the stand owner generates around 4 Welby, similar to the life satisfaction of one person living on $1,000. Heading. Estimating an organization's impact from their revenue streams. In the following section I will refer to some concepts from finance. If you need a refresher, check Appendix 2. The great thing is that we can reuse a lot of long-established concepts and readily available data from finance because they had a long interest in measuring the revenue, roughly value delivered, of companies. As before, check the spreadsheet to follow along. Subheading. Current impact of an organization and impact of a job or supplier. To generalize from the market stand to any organization, we simply group the organization's customers in customer segments and calculate the impact per dollar spent for that segment given their average income and corresponding average life satisfaction. By multiplying that number with the revenue in that segment that year, we get the total impact delivered in that year. Against this we have the total cost to generate that impact. The sum of wages, supplier costs, etc., operating expenditure, depreciation, and amortization. To account for the effect of previous investments the company made to achieve this year's impact, and any other costs, for example, loan interest. Finally, we have the profit, revenue minus cost, for that year. We can now split the impact across all these points to attribute their proportional part of the impact. For most people, the impact of their job is probably most interesting. For this, as for any other cost, we simply take the cost of your job to the company, $50,000 in the spreadsheet example, and multiply this with the average impact per dollar spent given the revenue stream mix. 0.000323 well be a dollar in the spreadsheet example, and arrive at the impact attributable to your job, 16 well be, more than five times the well be that hypothetical person gets from donating 10% of their income, partly because the hypothetical company is active in low-income segments. Note that we're applying a similar efficient market hypothesis here. We assume that your salary should roughly reflect the value you add to the company. However, Many companies have fixed salary bands that are supposed to capture the average while often individuals outperform colleagues by a factor of two or three. So when trying this Excel on your own job, just adjust the fudge factor as you believe is right. Just keep in mind that if you fudge it up, somebody else has to fudge theirs down to keep the total impact the same. If you can't think of a person who should fudge theirs down, then you probably shouldn't fudge yours up. Note that some costs, including your job, might be amortized or depreciated over time to reflect their impact over multiple years, which would make this calculation more complex. However, if we assume that revenue segments don't change significantly over these years, typically three to five years, we can skip this and just multiply your cost with the impact per dollar metric. I made this assumption in the spreadsheet to keep things simple. Apart from the impact of your job, the second most interesting personal impact lever is probably impact from shares. For shareholder impact in a given year, we can take their fractional ownership of the organization to distribute the impact from profits or losses. In the example in the spreadsheet, the startup is still loss-making, so we go from 16 Welby to only 14 Welby impact that year. Subheading. Future impact of an organization and impact of shareholders. So far, we estimated the impact of an organization in a given year. 
However, for anybody holding shares in a company, the future impact, revenue is often what is more interesting as that could be much larger. To get the future impact, we start with estimating the future revenue splits from different income segments in line with the organization's strategy. Having done that, all we have to do is to take the company value, from valuations or stock market information, see Appendix 2, spread it over the income segments, and calculate the resulting impact. One way to think of company value is that it represents discounted future profits, in our case these represent discounted future impact. To then get the value from shares in the company, we just take the fraction of shares times the calculated future impact. In the spreadsheet example, that ends at 15 Welby from $50,000 of shares at a valuation of $20 million and a revenue split, that moved to Europe from Africa. Heading. Edge cases and implications. You learn most about a model by trying to break it. I discovered a few interesting edge cases while working on this. Subheading. As an employee, your impact is bound by your salary. In this model, the impact of an employee is their salary times the life satisfaction per dollar of the income segment they are working for. If the revenue or impact generated is higher, it is assigned to the shareholder as part of their profits, if it is lower, it is assigned to the shareholder as part of their losses. Therefore the maximal impact an employee can have is limited by the minimal revenue segment one can work for. Let's assume that is $1,000 per year income with well be a dollar of 0.003. At $100,000 per year income, that means a maximal impact of 300 well be, about as much as the life satisfaction for a year of 75 people living on $1,000, or 37 people living on $100,000. That's pretty high, but it's also pretty difficult to find a job that makes a lot of money with a lot of poor people at scale. Compare this to the upper bound of working for a company whose main revenue comes from people living on $100,000 per year. Wellbe a dollar is about 8 Wellbe a dollar 100k equals 0.00008. At $100,000 per year income we're then back at 8 Wellbe impact from the job. A factor of almost 40x versus the 300 Wellbe from the similarly paid job for the $1,000 per year income population. Subheading. Safaricom is the most impactful company in Kenya. Speaking of making a lot of money with a lot of poor people at scale, Safaricom, the telco and mobile money provider of Kenya, is doing exactly that and is therefore arguably the most impactful company of Kenya. They made more than $1.5 billion in revenue last year. At 5% profits and an assumed average income of $5,000 with 0.0009 Welby per dollar. That would result in about 70k Wellbe in impact profits for shareholders last year. If we had more data on revenue with each income segment, we could do more precise estimates. This outcome of the model also matches public perception. Their mobile money product has been frequently pointed to as one of the most impactful things happening to the population in the last decades. Subheading. Does this make Elon Musk the most impactful person alive? Elon Musk's net worth is somewhere around $180 billion. He is competing for the title of the richest person with the luxury goods entrepreneur Bernard Arnold and Amazon's Jeff Bezos. Elon's wealth primarily comes from his shares in SpaceX, including Starlink, and Tesla, with some wealth also from his shares in the boring company, Twitter X, Neuralink and X.ai. He also co-founded PayPal and OpenAI. In this framework, we would estimate Elon's impact by taking his wealth per company, then splitting the company's revenue by income segment, and proportionally attributing impact. 
To keep things simple, let's just assume here that most people consuming Elon's products, directly or indirectly, are middle to upper class Western people, with an average income of $50,000 per year. This is probably lower than the average consumer of Bernard Arnold's products, mainly LVMH luxury goods like Louis Vuitton handbags, but higher than the average customer of Jeff Bezos, as both Amazon and AWS services are used by a much broader population than Tesla drivers, Starlink users, and other people benefiting from SpaceX. An income of $50,000 per year would roughly translate to a life satisfaction of 7, so 0.0001 for well be a dollar. $180 billion asterisk 0.0001 for Welby, dollar would give us about 25M Welby. What is that? If we divide by 7 to conservatively approximate an average European life year, we get 3.5M, about the size of Berlin. So the wealth of Elon is approximately the impact of the full life satisfaction of Berlin for a year. Does this make him the most impactful person alive? Not really because we are only looking at the impact on life satisfaction here, not on climate or our survival as a species, to name just two other causes. While he claims that his work also supports these causes, much more detailed analyses would be necessary to establish this. And even if we were only concerned about impact on life satisfaction, there could be somebody much further down on the Forbes list who makes most of their money with lower-income customers. Finally we didn't adjust for any negative impact that Musk's companies might have on public goods or other market failures that aren't factored, into the price of his products. I don't want to make the call on this here, but looking at the industries of other Forbes billionaires, it seems to me he comes out better than most from that perspective. Subheading. Shareholders can have negative impact. In this model, profit represents the impact going to the shareholders of the company. For profitable companies this seems intuitive. After all suppliers and employees got their share of the impact proportional to their cost, the extra value created should go to the owner of the business. What's a bit less intuitive is that in the case that you don't make a profit but a loss, you have a negative impact as a shareholder. More importantly, your negative impact is higher if you run a business in a low-income market than in a high-income market, just as your impact profit would have also been higher in a low-income market, even if you had the same revenue and cost in money terms. I think this makes sense. You are promising high impact to employees and suppliers so if you can't hold these promises you should also be held accountable for them. As an entrepreneur or investor you take the risk that can be both positive and negative. See Appendix 2 for a more detailed discussion on negative impact. Subheading. This model can guide impact attribution of NGOs. In simple terms, an NGO is a company that can't pay profits to shareholders but instead reinvests them in the company. In that frame, a donation is revenue and the goods sold are their primary impact, lobbying efforts, policy NGOs, money transfers, give directly, immunization campaigns, etc. In our framework, this implies that the impact we are measuring is the effect on life satisfaction of the donor as they are buying the NGO's products. The more the donor donates, the more it should have a positive effect on their life satisfaction. While this sounds counterintuitive, it fits at least some of the data. For a long time donors were not really interested in measuring the impact of their donations but rather in donating for causes, they were personally attached to, were donating for status reasons etc. We can reconcile this with modern impact measuring though. The market for donations simply changed in the last years, valuing the primary impact more so that donors now get more life satisfaction from knowing that they donated to causes that actually have very large primary impact. 
If the donation market keeps developing like this, then particularly impactful NGOs should be able to raise prices, raise salary of staff to attract talent and incentivize high performance. At the same time demand for good, bottom-up impact models of NGOs should rise as those can be used to command more donations. The donor can then claim the primary impact, because they paid for it, and the NGO and its employees can claim the secondary impact, the increase in life satisfaction of the donor. The consultants doing the donation impact estimation study can also claim part of the secondary impact based on the fees they charge for the study. Let's apply this to give directly again, simply because their business model is so simple and easy to understand. What happens when they sell impact for a transaction fee? For every $1,000 donated, you get roughly $0.9,000 donated. Primary impact attributed to the donor calculated above, and they get $0.1,000 in gross margin, which they would use to pay, and assign secondary impact to, employees and suppliers. Let's assume most of GiveDirectly's donors are fairly affluent with $50,000 per year, so 0.0001 for well be a dollar. If you work at GiveDirectly as a software developer earning $100,000, you would have an impact of 14 Wellby, more than their own life satisfaction at around 8, on average, because we assume the average donor earns less than the software developer. Heading. Summary. Theory of change. NGOs often model impact with theories of change. The advantage of these is that it makes it very clear how causal links are supposed to run. The disadvantage is that they often get very complex and are difficult to compare between organizations. To summarize the model discussion so far, I am proposing a very simple theory of change. Impact on life satisfaction comes from consuming goods and services, and this allows using money as a proxy KPI. There's an image here, with the caption. Figure 3. Theory of change. Consumer. Top. Life satisfaction results from consumption of goods and services. Company, middle. Life satisfaction increases, impact, are due to consumption of goods and services, outcome, which result from work, capital, and environment together producing these with secondary outcomes on capital and environment. Environment refers to any external factors beyond labor and capital, which can include nature, society, and other factors. Donor, bottom. While donations lead to life satisfaction decreases for the donor due to less consumption as described in the section on Give Directly, it also leads to a donor life satisfaction increase from the act of donating, which can be attributed to NGOs as explored in the section on edge cases. Heading. Conclusion. Subheading. This is a simple and generic approach to impact measurement and attribution. We started the article saying that impact estimation usually suffers from complex theories of change, cherry-picked KPIs that can't be compared across organizations, assigning the same impact to more than one actor and missing studies to back it up. I hope that with this approach I was able to convince you that by framing impact as income-weighted revenue, converted to well-being years, well-be, we can solve all of these. The calculation fits in a single spreadsheet, the theory of change is straightforward. We have one KPI that would be the same for all organizations. We avoid the double counting because money can only be spent once, and there are plenty of studies to back up the income life satisfaction relationship. The only numbers needed can all be found on a company's income statement and balance sheet, except for revenue splits by income segment, but those can be easily estimated. It might be less fine-grained than a detailed bottom-up analysis, but I think the benefits largely outweigh the lost granularity at least for the 99% of organizations that don't sell impact as a product but still want to estimate their impact.
For the 1% of organizations who actually sell impact as a product, like GiveDirectly and most NGOs, their impact on the life satisfaction of their customers or donors is different from their primary impact product they have, which of course needs more detailed measurement and justification to help their customers choose. Subheading. Please give this a try. Still skeptical? Already convinced? Either way, I'd love it if you could just make a copy of the spreadsheet, try to estimate your job or a job you're interested in, and just send me the results. I'd be curious to see how this holds up in reality. I'm guessing that max one to two people will actually do this, so if you are thinking about it, please do it, it'll take 10 minutes. I'll update in the comments on the outcomes. Heading. Appendix. Subheading. Appendix 1. Previously raised concerns on the relationship between revenue and impact. Before we dive in. I am not arguing that there is a perfect relationship between the two. I also would have never thought that I would write an article proposing free market neoliberal reasoning to estimate social impact. But it turns out that money exists for a reason, and that is to have an easy way to compare value delivered between very different goods and services. That's exactly what we're looking for when trying to estimate impact. Nevertheless, I of course had concerns and came across them again and again while discussing this with others so let me share my thoughts on them. Subheading. Market failures and public goods. The most common criticism of this approach is that companies do a lot of harm by exploiting public goods, building monopolies, evading tax, being corrupt, tricking customers into addictions or other forms of dependencies on the company neglecting long-term effects of their products, and other unethical behaviors. This is barely accounted for in the company's revenue because most customers don't or cannot take these factors into account when making purchasing decisions. I fully acknowledge these and added a fudge factor to the model to manually adjust the impact delivered. If you estimate the impact of a multinational, you probably want to apply some fudge factor as they are usually able to drive down prices with monopoly powers, lobbying and other things that go against free market assumptions. Estimating this fudge factor is of course a whole other discussion but when using this framework to get a rough comparison between different options, and not forgetting a final precise absolute value on emapped, I think this is good enough as a first step. Subheading. What if the price doesn't reflect its impact? Assuming we have accounted for market failures, what would happen if the price of a good didn't represent its value to the buyer? For example, because it is much more expensive or much cheaper than the value it represents. In those cases, consumers would either stop buying the item and go for a cheaper substitute, or buy so much that eventually production can't keep up and prices increase. What if there is no cheaper substitute? For example, a piece of bread costs 10 times as much because there is a food shortage? Then in that case I'd argue it all of a sudden represents a higher value and impact on life satisfaction than before because of the shortage. What about things that are just very expensive to produce but have not a high effect on life satisfaction? Then nobody will buy them, people close to poverty usually don't buy a jacuzzi. Subheading. First dollar versus last dollar spent. One could assume that the first dollar spent, maybe on water doesn't give the same life satisfaction as the last $1,000 spent, maybe on school fees. After all, there exists the log relationship between income and life satisfaction. Interestingly, for all practical purposes, we don't see this happening. People spend in general 30% of their income on housing, not an absolute amount on for example a very small wooden hut and then the rest on other categories. The same applies to most other categories, see for example US and Kenya.
only the percentage spent on food goes down a bit, and even there people don't layer, by buying the cheapest rice and then add other things, but just spend more on food as their income increases. So while in principle some parts of the spending should give more life satisfaction than other parts, in practice we see spending increasing on all categories simultaneously while income increases, suggesting that we can assume a similar enough relationship between each dollar spent and life satisfaction received, given a yearly income. Subheading. Absolute versus relative impact. Finally, one might suggest that we should look at marginal impact instead of absolute impact here. For example, we shouldn't take the full price of a service as its impact, but only some relative measure of how much better it is versus the next best service. I decided against this for a few reasons. First, it is intractable as it doesn't stop at the next best service, but of course that next service should only get the marginal impact versus the one following that one etc. Second, price difference wouldn't be the only factor influencing impact, but also quality, proximity and a lot of other measures, which are automatically included when we, just, look at a purchase because they all went into the purchasing decision. Last, we also don't pay some money to the next best product when buying the best product, it seems like an absurd idea. Value was delivered by the person whom the service was bought from, not by the next best person. Subheading. Self-reported life satisfaction is an ordinal scale. In this article we implicitly convert an ordinal measure, self-reported life satisfaction score on a scale from 1 to 10, to an interval scale. What does this mean? Each number on the ordinal scale represents a category that is higher or lower than the others, but the intervals between the numbers might not represent equal increments of satisfaction. For instance, the difference in life satisfaction between a score of 2 and 3 might not be the same as the difference between 8 and 9. However, when starting to add them up and taking increments, we implicitly assume that they are the same. I don't have a better answer than ChatGPT here. Quote. Despite these limitations, researchers often treat such scales as quasi-interval scales for practical purposes, especially in large-scale surveys and studies. This approach allows for the use of parametric statistical methods that can provide more nuanced insights into the data under the assumption that with large sample sizes, individual differences in scale interpretation might average out. End quote. Other than that, I'll appeal to authority and say that the WellBe measure is endorsed by the World Wellbeing Panel and by the World Happiness Report. Subheading. Appendix 2. Reusable concepts from finance. Because we work with money here, we can borrow a lot of existing data and concepts from finance. Let's start with the basics. The income statement displays a company's performance during a given year and the balance sheet, which keeps track since the company's founding. A third common concept, the cash flow statement, shows how cash flows operationally. For example how the income statement eventually flows into the balance sheet, but is less relevant here. Most importantly, all these statements are available for any company by law, so are easy to work with. Subheading. Income statement, profit and loss. In its most basic form, the income statement subtracts all costs from all revenue to arrive at the net gains. From an impact perspective, we interpret this as follows. The total revenue is simply the total impact created, by multiplying the revenue, segments, with the well-be, dollar of that revenue segment. The costs and the net gains can guide us in how to assign that impact. The most common items probably are. Salaries, how much impact goes to you as an employee, procurement, how much impact goes to suppliers, interest payments, 
How much of the impact should go to the bank, depreciation and amortization? How much of the impact should be assigned to previous investments, taxes? How much of the impact is based on support from government infrastructure etc., and net gains? How much of the impact goes to the shareholders of the company? Subheading. Negative impact. Note that by using the cost and net gains to assign the impact to its contributors, we can get the case that net gains are negative, so the shareholders actually have a negative impact. Let's take the example that we made $100 in revenue with an impact factor of 0.001 Welby, dollar for a total 0.1 impact but had $1,000 in cost for one employee. Net gains are then negative $900. The employee should then be assigned $1,000 asterisk 0.001 Welby, dollar equals 1 Welby impact and the shareholders negative $900 asterisk 0.001 Welby, dollar equals minus 0.9 Welby. How to interpret this? Basically, the shareholders promised to the employee impact in the form of the salary the employer is paying. Money represents a promise of value, so by giving an employee money, the employer transfers a promise of value generated to the employee. However, not enough value is generated, revenue, to balance that promise, so the employer needs to find other ways to balance that promise, either with value he has generated for others, company savings, or other people's generated value, loans or investments. This can of course be a very rational choice for the shareholders. They might accept negative impact today from investing in development of a product that initially doesn't generate a lot of revenue impact in the hopes of eventually becoming profitable and paying off the initial negative impact with more positive impact in the future. This should be reflected in the company value. Note that if you feel this doesn't make sense and the employee should simply get less impact assigned, then in the reverse case that the company makes more money than the employee cost, the employee also needs to be assigned the extra impact always leaving shareholders without any impact, which would result in nobody taking the risk to start a company or invest in one and the system breaking down. Subheading. Balance sheet. Next to the income statement, we also have the balance sheet. The balance sheet represents what the company owns and owes by balancing three things. Assets, liabilities equals book value. I don't use much of the balance sheet in the spreadsheet model but it's still interesting to look at two examples. Non-current assets are assets that are useful to the company in the future and are valued at cost-less accumulated depreciation and amortization. Examples could be equipment bought or software developed. They can be used to calculate the amount of future impact that needs to be assigned to investments. A piece of them flows every year into the income statement through depreciation and amortization. The second concept is book value. This is what remains after subtracting assets from liabilities and is roughly the value of what the company would generate if everything would be sold off and all debts paid. This is useful in calculating the base impact stored in a company and for valuing a company. Subheading. Valuations. Finally, we can use the concept of valuations of companies to determine their expected future impact. A valuation should roughly represent the book value, see balance sheet, plus expected discounted future profit of a company. Smaller companies get valued when they are sold, the value of publicly traded companies is simply the number of shares asterisk share price, market capitalization. Getting the value of a company that isn't publicly traded is always a best guess, but one easy way is to take a group of recently valued companies, because sold or publicly traded, calculate some multiples like revenue, value or profit of value, try to find patterns, calculate the same for your company and do some adjustments. 
Sounds inaccurate, but this is how it is often done. Another approach would be to build bottom-up models of expected future revenue and discount these to a net present value. Both ways of valuating a company are difficult, time-consuming, and require lots of experience. This is why it's great that for most companies a valuation exists and we don't have to try to guesstimate future impact from scratch. If we assume this is somewhat accurate, then we can simply translate the value to expected discounted future impact, and use that to determine the impact value of anybody owning shares in a company. This article was narrated by Type 3 Audio for the Effective Altruism Forum. It was first published on February 3, 2024. The original text contained two footnotes which were omitted from the narration. To report an issue or give feedback on this narration, go to t3a.is.